Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. It's a new year and we're looking at new ways to acquire property. Have you thought about getting into commercial property? Well, there's a lot of differences, especially when it comes to financing. Today, we're going to talk about how to get commercial deals done on the Real Estate Guys radio program. If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the Secrets of Successful Syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Thanks for tuning in. Joining me as usual, co-host, financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. You know, it's a new year and people are excited about adding more zeros to their net worth, adding more doors to their portfolio. Uh, we talk to a lot of real estate agents who are in this interesting place. They've got a few rentals, they've got some experience, and they're ready to make that jump. I remember back on the summit a few years ago, we did a panel on jumping from greenhouses to the Red Hotel, right? right. How do I go from single family to commercial property. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The most obvious reason has to do with loans. We're going to talk about loans today that you get Fannie and Freddie out. You can only get so many residential loans and, and then it becomes more difficult to do. And with economies of scale and all that, at some point it makes sense to look at bigger properties, to look at more doors, all of that. So today what we're going to talk about is kind of making that jump into commercial and then we'll spend some time talking about the most important part of that, which is how do you get the funding to work? Right. Well, I mean, you know, having come out of the mortgage business and really understanding that just foundationally, there's two different categories when it comes to residential property. There's residential one to four, which is heavily influenced by what's going on with Fannie, Freddie, and a lot of the consumer type loans. Even though it's, you know, rental properties, two and three and four units, it's still really considered more consumer lending. And then you've got the commercial side, which doesn't mean you're buying commercial buildings or office buildings or industrial buildings. Apartments, five units and above are considered commercial lending different underwriting guidelines. The whole process behind the scenes or under the hood, if you will, is different. We're going to get into detail on that today, but it's important that you understand that because ultimately as a real estate investor, your goal is to accumulate more doors. If you really want to measure your wealth, it isn't dollars, it's doors. How many people live in your property, go to work every day and send you a piece of their income to pay off your property? The shortest path to accumulating more doors is accumulating more debt. And so understanding how the debt game is played is crucial. That's why I went into the mortgage business way back when. I said, I want to accumulate more real estate. The secret to doing that is accumulating more debt. I need to know the debt business. I want to be an insider. And so what we're going to do today is bring you an insider, somebody who makes his living originating these types of loans that can tell you the secrets, what it takes to really get your apartment loan approved. As you're building your portfolio, you're also building your reputation, you're building your credit, all of those things, right? If a lender looks at your fourth single family home purchase, they're going to look at how you've done up till now. Are you paying on time? Are you able to cover the debt? How's the performance of those properties and so forth? But there's a big distinction. 
when you are looking at the one to four units, what you talked about earlier, residential loans, a lender is primarily interested in you. They're interested in your ability to make the payments and what happens if you don't. So they're going to make sure the collateral is good. They're going to have an appraisal, but it's the focus is on you. When we shift to commercial, the focus changes a little bit. It's yes. less about you personally, although you certainly have to be able to qualify, and we'll talk about what that looks like today, but it's more about the property. Does the property and the financial performance of the property warrant financing? Because if I have to be limited by what I have cash to invest in, then there's not much most people can invest in. They get a couple of houses and they're fully deployed and they have to go earn more money. Instead, if we can use leverage, if we can use the bank's money to go out and create these additional acquisitions and be able to service that, right? I mean, the, the deal is with financing that that lender is willing to take a specific return. In exchange for that, all the upside goes to the owner. But all the downside also goes to the right. owner, right? So it's that trade-off. And your lender is going to make sure that it, you're a prudent borrower. You're not borrowing too much. But leverage is a two-way deal. The more leverage I have, the more my return magnifies. Well, this is an important thing. A lot of people think going bigger means riskier. And really, you're going to find out that the opposite is true. Going bigger is usually safer because your lender is more of your partner. Your lender is going to look over your deal with much greater scrutiny than even in the residential space. There's two misconceptions. One is about the risk that I just talked about. The other one is that the government loans are only there for the residential one to four, and that's not true. Right. And so you have to understand that government money or government-backed or government-subsidized interest rate type money is available for apartments. That's number one, and that's an important thing to understand. The second thing is to understand it isn't risky because the lender is really focused on making sure the property will perform and support the loan, and they're going to be there to make sure that that happens in their underwriting process. It may seem like a little bit of a pain when you're going through it, but really, if you think about it, they're sharpening your pencil, making sure that your deal makes good sense, and they're going to help you put together a deal that can really work, and that's a real important consideration. You know, back several weeks ago, we were talking about the subject of lending, and uh, we had a couple of guests. Uh, we had Grant Parham talking about residential. We had Michael Becker talking about commercial. Very popular show. Lots of people interested in this topic. Today, we've asked Michael to come back and really pay a full picture of what this looks like to be able to acquire property using leverage prudently, but also competitively. It's a competitive landscape today in apartments, especially in certain marketplaces. And so that means you need to not only be sharp and ready and have your capital together and your partners together, but you need to make sure that you understand the loan side of it so you don't get hung up on something. Today's sellers are probably a little less agreeable for things like extensions and those things because it's a competitive marketplace. Right, exactly. So when we come back, you'll have a chance to hear from Michael Becker. We'll talk about commercial financing today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Memphis, Tennessee is a market that delivers in more ways than one. As home to FedEx, Memphis is one of the largest distribution hubs in the world. That means working class jobs. No wonder Memphis is one of the best cash flow real estate markets in America. And the guy in Memphis who can deliver great affordable cash flow turnkey properties is Terry Kerr at Mid-South Home Buyers. Contact Terry through the resource section at realestateguysradio.com. And be sure to order Terry's tips for turnkey rental property investing. It's free. Just send your request to turnkey at realestateguysradio.com. That's turnkey at realestateguysradio.com. Are you still sitting on the sidelines trying to figure out when and where you're going to buy those investment properties? 
Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Atlanta, Georgia is still on sale, but you better act fast because the deals are almost gone. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners, and I want you to know that there may not be a better investing opportunity than Atlanta right now. Listed as one of the fastest growing markets in the country, both in terms of jobs and population, Forbes predicts 26% appreciation over the next three years. At Georgia Residential Partners, we sell turnkey cash-flowing investment properties. We also sell wholesale properties at insane discounts. We're launching a new home construction product this summer as well. And if you're still nervous about stepping out into another market, I will personally partner with you on a small portfolio of homes, if that's what it takes. Don't wait any longer. Check us out at gainvesting.com or call our office at 770-924-5450. We look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Lawrence Yuan, Chief Economist with National Association of Realtors, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program, the number one downloader podcast on real estate investing. I'm your host, Robert Helms, and we're talking today with uh, Michael Becker. Welcome back to the program. Hey, Robert. You know, we had a lot of folks very interested in what you had to say. We had a quick visit, uh, getting the big picture on what's happening in commercial finance. And I think we find a lot of our listeners are at this stage where they're now, they've got a couple of houses, they're looking to invest in uh, something different. Of course, what you guys do at Old Capital is a lot of multifamily, but also other types of commercial properties. So office and retail and the things that we talked about in the last show. But let's start with this today. If someone's making that jump, and they've got you know a few houses, and now they come to you and they say, you know, I, I think I, I want to get an apartment building. That's my next thing. What are the first things they need to know and how they show up financially? There's a lot of similarities and some transferable skills between single family and multifamily, but there are a different animal. So it is kind of the natural progression that a lot of people do to go from single to multi. And, and some of the main key differences are that the property is more what the lender looks at first versus on the residential side, on the one to four, they look at the borrower first more than the property. So, so really trying to find the property. Is it stabilized? Is there a value-added component? Do we need to lease it up? All those things are factors on how the loan's going to be structured and the likelihood of approval. Well, that gets to a good point, which is if I am that guy making that jump into my first multi-unit property, you have to think about what's your business plan. Are you looking for something that's just stable and provides a, a decent return? Or are you looking for upside? Are you looking for a mismanaged property that needs some help? Are you thinking I'm going to come in and roll up my sleeves and rehab? The lender is very interested in what the answer to that question is. Of course. And they're going to want you to paint the picture and have a story and a business plan that makes sense. And you can go out there and help them mitigate the risk. So if you're a first-time borrower, you don't own any other multifamily property. One of the main things they look to kind of mitigate that risk is have a good third-party management company in place that's local, that manages other properties in the area. They can kind of transfer some of the experience from you to the management company. And that's one of the key hurdles that most first-time borrowers have to have to overcome. You know, a few weeks ago, we were talking on the show about relationships with brokers and how one of the things you do by selecting the right professional is leverage their reputation, experience, credibility. Same thing here, right? That's exactly what the lender looks at is this borrower might be rather new, but this management company has a reputation, has lots of units under management, understands that part of the business because they're interested in durability of income, right? The lender, any lender is interested in two things. How are we going to get paid back? And what happens if we aren't? Sure. Most first-time borrowers go to like a local community bank or maybe a regional bank, and they sign personal guarantees on them. And as they graduate, you can kind of transition into larger, uh, larger, more agency agency debts or CMBS or life loans, where those are typically non-recourse. But right out of the gate, 
you know, having having a good balance sheet of the guarantor or guarantors, if in some cases, if you do a syndication, and making sure that there's enough financial wherewithal. If there is a problem, that you have capacity, some some money, you know, set aside to support the deal, so the bank's not the one out there writing the checks. Because when you look at these transactions, the bank is your partner. They're they're you know typically putting in somewhere between you know seventy to eighty percent of the dollars, and you're putting in twenty to thirty percent. So they have a vested interest, and their upside really is their interest rate. So so you know, they're going to get four, five, six percent interest rate, where you know the borrower's upside is is substantially greater than that. That's what you would hope. Absolutely. So you bring up an important point, and that is when you're going to show up to qualify for a loan like this, it's more about the property. So in the residential world, we talk a lot about pre-approval, pre-qualification. A lender's looked at your stuff and says, yeah, you're, you're credit worthy. How important is that process here since what the lender's looking at primarily is the property? That's pretty important because what, what the lender's going to want to know is, you know, what's your experience level and then what's your financial wherewithal. And there's we can kind of usually work backwards and say, okay, I have this much net worth and this much uh, cash in the bank. I can target a property uh, up to X amount in, in total cost between the purchase price, closing costs, and any sort of renovations you want to do. So we do that all the time. We work with guys that are, you know, either individuals or groups of a uh, small group of people that are looking to to syndicate a deal and buy a deal that we kind of you know, look at look at the financial wherewithal and tell them they can they can go out to X amount of dollars when they're out there looking. So that's a, a very important thing. And then the other thing is making sure that we we help them structure and kind of foresee what the future problem is going to be. You know, do you have your management company in place? Are we doing a good physical inspection? Do we know what you're buying? Are you are you walking all the units? Do we have a bad roof? Do we have the proper amount of capital set aside to address all those issues? Because we don't want to get into a property, be undercapitalized, and then then you're kind of chasing your tail, and it, it can tailspin a little bit and get away from you. Well, this is a great theme. The fact that Russ said it, you've brought it up. Your lender really is your partner, and, and one of the things you have to recognize is your lender in this kind of a property is going to have vastly more experience than you do. No matter how many units you own, they've done more loans than that, right? So they've had the ability to look at lots of different property transactions and what has worked. And the idea of you may have a business plan that says, yeah, we've set aside $400,000 for CapEx. We're going to have capital expenditures to increase the value of the property. The lender comes in and says, oh no, you're going to need twice that. Because again, they have the experience. Rather than view this as, oh, I hope I get the money, you're really interviewing for a partner. That's right. Yeah, the, the bank is definitely your partner, and they they want to make sure that the their years and years and multiple transactions they do they 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 do have a formula and they have all the proper reports to make sure you do an environmental report. And that's just kind of look at it as kind of cheap insurance against you making a horrible mistake. So using the the lender's experience and guidelines and all their vendors and their formula generally is there to protect you against yourself. When you jump up from single family to the next level of multifamily or even other commercial property, you do have some different things that maybe you haven't had to approach before. If, if I buy a home, I'm probably going to have a home inspection. Well, that's a pretty simple deal where a general contractor goes out with a checklist and checks the major systems. When I buy a commercial property, especially a larger property, then there may be completely new sets of information I need to get. Your typical inspection, like you say, say I'm buying 200 units. Do they inspect every unit? It's not a standard, oh, home inspection to go out and <laughs> inspect 200 units. That can look differently. You've got issues with things like wetlands or Superfund sites or underground tanks, uh, the environmental issues. There's a lot more. So I think one of the things people have to understand, eyes open, is there's a little more due diligence in the front end. 
for you and for the lender, and there's a little more cost. Certainly, uh, when you're out buying a property, you want to have your own inspection in, uh, in addition to what the bank does. Because when the bank does a property condition report, they generally will sample about 10% of the units. So it, when they're out sampling 10% of the units, if the seller is not going to show you a unit that has black mold in it, so you need to make sure you you walk every single unit as well as doing the environmental report. But the physical inspection is just really one part of it. When you go into uh, an apartment complex, to be, be specific, there's also the financial aspect of it. You're making an offer based off the financial statements that they provide you, the rent rolls that you provide, they provide you. So you need to go in and verify all this information. So what, what is very typical is when you get the financial statement, you, you also ask for copies of bank statements. So if they tell you they had $10,000 in revenue that month, you need to see $10,000 in deposits. If they tell you that this is the rent roll and they have these units occupied, you need to go verify the leases and make sure that the start date, the end date, the name, and the, the lease amount all match up to what you made your offer on. And if, they did, if there's any discrepancies there, those are usually causes that you can go back and ask the seller for a credit or to modify the terms in some form or fashion. Right. Well, and really, this is a, it's good news. The good news is that you're looking out for your best interest and that of your investors if you're raising money, but also the bank is in the same position. They're very concerned about the quality of the collateral and the income streams. So you're on the same side of the table with it, right? The negotiation part is more about what do they need to see and what do you need to provide? So if you've got a client, Michael, and, and you want to, let's say it's a competitive bid situation, and you want to show the, the best possible light you can for the client. How much of that do you go in early with your business plan? How much of it is, you know, after we get in contract, we, we then go through? In a competitive situation, the, more, more times than not, you're not even going to be awarded the contract unless you have your, your debt lined up because it's, it's a pretty intense process and it's pretty invasive when you buy an apartment complex. It takes a lot of toll on the staff and the residents going through all the inspections. So when the broker and the seller picks the, the winning bidder, they want to make sure that they have the ability and, the, and they're going to close. So having aggressive terms in the contract certainly help, but they're going to want to know who your lender is, what kind of financial statement you have, what's your experience. And if you're new in it, you need to, you need to get some team members on there that can help give you some credibility. So having a, a mortgage broker or a banker that, that is well known in your area, that, that has a lot of a good track record, then having you know the proper management company like we talked about before, those are ways you can kind of overcome some of those hurdles on your first transaction. Well, and that brings up another great topic. You, you talked about the fact that you you have people that syndicate deals and, and many, many of these big deals, that's how they get done. You know, before we uh, started, Russ was asking, you know, how many of your deals are really syndications? And, and your answer was like almost all Virtually of them. Virtually every single one of them. Yeah. So very common that, and, and the lender understands this and typically the sellers understand that if you're going to buy an apartment complex, you're probably not going to do it alone. You're probably going to have partners. So that means you've got to think through ahead of time and see who are my key borrowers. And, and sometimes you're combining balance sheets to get to the numbers you need. That's right. So, you know, having the, the proper financial wherewithal to, to go to the bank and say, I have enough guarantors, or if you do a Fannie Mae loan, the Fannie Mae term is a key principle. Make sure that you have enough net worth and experience that, that can satisfy that. And that is very uh, definitely one of the questions that the brokers will ask you when they're selecting the winning bidder in a multiple bid situation is, you know, where's your debt, but also where's your equity coming from? Is it institutional? There's a lot of uh, institutional funds that, that'll, that'll put money in with uh, deal sponsors when they're going out, when you get a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit bigger deals? Or is it you and your your, your friends and family that are going to go raise a few hundred thousand dollars and, and buy a deal? Let's talk about deal size, because you guys deal kind of all across the board. As we talked about, five units and up is a commercial deal. 
but not too many lenders interested in necessarily five units and up. That's right. And then, and then there's a certain amount of fixed costs when you do these deals. So if, if you know, sometimes, uh, you know, depending on which way you want to go, it, whether you want to go with the community bank or whether you want to go with Fannie Mae. Well, Fannie Mae has got a certain amount of fixed costs to just to apply for a loan. So say it's $20,000 apply for a loan, you know, that they will do a smaller loan. But, you know, I, I kind of like using the term, you know, that, that your loan's not too small, my fee's too big. You know, it just doesn't make sense if you're going to try to go out and borrow a half a million dollars and you got to spend $20,000 in application fees plus all your other reports. It just starts adding up and it just doesn't make any sense. So in those scenarios, we would just steer you to a little lower cost option on, on debt. Well, and let's talk about those two major categories. Those are important categories. You've got kind of the community, local banks who are great candidates to make loans on this kind of property. And then you have the big dog in the room, right? So uh, what are the trade-offs? Why would a particular investor decide to go one way or the other? So one would be, you know, Fannie Mae has certain strict requirements on experience. And then, you know, there, there's there's certainly some more prohibitive things. Uh, there is a uh, what, is con- what is referred to as a yield maintenance prepayment penalty. So what that means is there you have a really, th- th- this is a permanent loan for Fannie Mae. They go out and sell it on, on Wall Street and they securitize your loan. So the, the person who buys your loan wants a guaranteed income stream. So they make the prepayment penalty so large that you have to have that loan in place for the, for the term of the loan. Um, so if you're going to go in and buy a property, rehab it, and then try to go out and sell it in two to three years, you know, maybe not having a 10-year loan might not be the right way for you. So we need to kind of start with the end in mind and work our way backwards. Uh, then again, if you don't have the experience, you would need to kind of generally start when you by going to a local community bank, earning your chops, and then you can kind of graduate up to the to the, the Cadillac product, which is generally the Fannie Mae. You know, we did a whole bunch of uh, development in the last 10 years where we built up relationships with banks. And the very first time I went in, uh, I had to go alongside a mentor who was basically the project manager for the project. And he had gotten loans from this particular lender a long time. We did several deals together until I kind of went out on my own personal guarantees for the whole thing. By the time we were in our fifth or sixth loan, we were now partially guaranteeing the loans between partners. And by the time we were in our 10th or 11th loan, they were non-recourse. So we were building relationship, but also track record. And you, you keep speaking of track record. This is critical. Your seller of a single family house that you're buying as a rental isn't really concerned with whether or not you have any experience as a landlord. That that What matters to them is price in terms of when it's going to close and how much money am I going to get. But your lender for commercial property is ultimately very concerned about your track record. And it's not just the lender. It's the, the, the listing agent. It's the seller. They're not going to award you this contract unless they feel pretty certain that you're going to close. So, yeah, track record's important. Building your resume, building your team, and then going out and, and, and having all that assembled, being organized, those will help you, one, win the deal, and two, actually close. Because this is an expensive uh, process if you start getting a bunch of deals under contract having application fees, having third-party reports. They're all several thousand dollars each, so it can be pretty expensive if you don't have your ducks in a row and know what you're doing. Yeah, it's definitely a bigger boys game, so bigger boys and girls need to step up to the plate and understand that there's more time involved. You've got to forge these relationships. There's more cost. But, of course, on the other side of that is the better efficiencies, more stable returns. You are building this reputation that you're going to continue on as you acquire units. And if you're raising money as you're a syndicator, this is 
critical to your path. As soon as you become more lendable, as soon as you have these kind of relationships, then it's easy for you to bring in more people and more capital to do more deals. So, yeah, and that's very that's very critical because if you buy, a, you know, if you own a bunch of single-family rental homes, every time you buy one, you're kind of buying yourself a job a little bit sometimes where it's not so scalable as in the multifamily space. You can use other people's equity. You can use debt from your lender. You can have a management company manage your properties for you, and you can just and you can do all this stuff non-recourse so you don't collide your balance sheet. So if you do this right, you can buy an infinite amount of properties. Whatever you can go out and make make sense, you can buy. And you never you never get tapped out on on money. You know, let's talk about recourse because the lender wants to make sure that they get paid back. That's their primary concern. And so in a one to four situation, they're looking at your resources and your earning potential and your income streams, right? If something goes wrong with the property, if the tenant moves out and it's vacant, how is this person going to be able to belly up and make the payments? They're very interested in that. And the recourse is full recourse. You are responsible. If there's a problem, they're coming after you. In a perfect world, you get to a point where you borrow on a large apartment complex, say, and you personally are not liable. It's a non-recourse loan. Now, when you hear that, it doesn't mean the lender doesn't have recourse. They have full recourse against the property and the income, but they don't have personal recourse. How do you bridge that gap? How do you get from full recourse to non-recourse? There's two main ways that you can get non-recourse loans, and, and it's all due to the level of experience of the principals involved. So there's, uh, I, I am also not just a lender. I also own a few uh, apartment complexes on about 1,400 units here in DFW, and so I go out and syndicate deals. So there's two main ways you can, you can get to non-recourse. One is you can go buy a smaller property. You can get a get a loan out of community bank. You can sign a guarantee. And you can wait about two years and prove out that you have a track record, and then you can graduate in to get a Fannie Mae loan. Yep. Or you can do what I did, and then you can find someone else that had experience, sign on the Fannie Mae loan as a key principal with them, and about three months later, you're ready to roll, and you can do your own deal. So those are the two main ways you can be an eligible borrower for Fannie Mae, and you know it, the latter is certainly the easier path if you're able to uh, forge a relationship with somebody that has previous ownership experience and is willing to have you on their team. Well, this is great. Why would a person like that be interested? Because what you have is more time, more tenacity, more of available, you know, fire in the belly. They're probably busy. They're they're an established person and they're and they want they want these kinds of partnerships. These are win-win relationships. They also need your balance sheet because while it's a non-recourse loan, Fannie Mae requires that the they have key principles is what they call it, have a certain net worth and liquidity amount that you guys are, you're not putting your last nickel in the deal. They want to have rich people get loans. They don't, they don't want you just throwing your last nickel in every single deal. So they want to make sure there's some wherewithal within the group that you have the ability to support it, even though you're not obligated to support it financially. That is a key point. We're talking about commercial property and the loans therein. Michael Becker is our guest. We come back. We're going to play Real Estate Trivia, give you a chance to win a prize, and we'll find out more details about getting into this space. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. If you've been listening to The Real Estate Guys for a while, then you've heard about the legendary Investor Summit. Simply put, it's the highest level event we do, and the content, faculty, and attendees are amazing. If you're serious about taking your real estate investment to the next level, consider joining us. You'll spend an entire week with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals. And you'll have a blast. Join Peter Schiff, Ken McElroy, Tom Hopkins, and the Real Estate Guys for the 13th Annual Investor Summit at Sea. 
It all begins March 5th, 2015 in Miami, Florida. Visit realestateguysradio.com and click the tab that says Summit to learn more and reserve your spot. The event is more than 80% sold out, so make plans to join us. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit and spend a week with the Real Estate Guys and an all-star faculty on the 13th Annual Investor Summit. Don't miss the boat. Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe of Paradigm Life. Over the last few years, I've had the privilege of sharing the services of Paradigm Life with you loyal Real Estate Guys Radio listeners through our website, www.beerbank.com, and also on the annual Investor Summit at Sea. Subsequently, we have seen a variety of financial situations across the socioeconomic spectrum and how everyone, regardless of their situation, would improve their financial lives by following the system we specialize in. As a result of this experience, we have created an online e-learning system so anyone without obligation can learn about the infinite banking concept. This free e-learning program is found on our website, www.beerbank.com. So check it out today. The website again is www.beerbank.com. Hi, this is Anthony Mercury from Tell Impossible, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Heard every weekend on this great radio station all the time at realestateguysradio.com. We're talking about how to get commercial deals done, specifically when it comes to financing. Before we get back to our interview with Michael Becker, it is time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question. In a moment, I'm going to give you the question, which of course has something to do with real estate, in this case, a big old hunk of real estate. As soon as you know the answer or want to take a guess, and today is definitely one you could guess on, all you do is send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com, trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Be sure to include your name and your physical mailing address along with the answer to the question. That way we can send you the prize. This week, the prize is The Social Capitalist, a great book by Josh and Lisa Lannon. They'll be joining us in the 2015 Investors Summit at Sea right around the corner just a few weeks left and we still have a cabin for you hey before we get to this week's trivia question last week on the real estate guys we asked this name the official state beverage of north dakota the answer milk milk is the official state beverage of the state of north dakota here's our real estate trivia question for this week English is the second most spoken language in the continent of Africa. What language is the most spoken? What language is number one when it comes to the language that Africans speak? There's lots of different languages in that part of the world. Number two is English. What's number one? If you know or you want to take a guess, send us your answer to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. The first person with the right answer is going to win a copy of The Social Capitalist by Rich Dad Advisors, Josh and Lisa Lannon. That's today's real estate trivia question. We're talking with Michael Becker from Old Capital, and he specializes in helping investors get commercial loans for multifamily and for actually other types of properties as well. And one of the things we like about you, Michael, is uh, you mentioned your experience as a syndicator, right? One of the questions we always tell people to ask their providers, people that are helping them in the business, is do you personally invest in real estate? So a guy that owns 1,400 units with partners is the guy that understands how syndication works, how putting these deals together, and I think that's great credibility. Let's talk through the process. You know, let's get let's get pretty detailed if we can on at what point did they talk to you 
and then at what point and what do you help put together before they're in a bid situation? Usually we're, we're involved pretty early on. Your lender is certainly one of the first people you want to talk to because if, if you don't feel secure in your ability to get the loan, there's no, really not a whole lot of point going out and put, making a bunch of offers and wasting your time. So we like to be brought in pretty early on. And then we can kind of go through your goals and your objectives and, you know, really kind of understand, you know, I, hey, I want to go buy a yield property, something that works well today. I'm just going to clip a coupon every month or I'm looking for something a little bit more distressed. I can go in and create value. And those two products are, are you know, the two lending products for those those different asset cl- uh, types are, are very different from each other. You know, we're not going to we're not going to put you in a 10 year fixed rate loan that uh the on a property you want to come in and flip. So so right. being being involved pretty early and making sure that we we go through all the criteria that the lender's going to want to see from you and help you, you know, if you're not there today, we'll say, well, you need to go get another another guarantor to help help kind of bridge the gap so you can go do a property of this size. So those are some of the counsel that we like to be brought in early to help provide to our clients. And then let's say you've done that and now your borrower has a really good idea of where they stand and what range they're in and they're out there finding properties and now they've got one they want to make an offer on. How involved do you get with that process? They want to have you on tap, I'm sure, to answer questions the listing agent and the owner may have. How involved are you with that? Sure, on the actual offer process, not as involved, but you know, they, they certainly, like I, I referred to earlier, the, the seller and the broker who represents the seller are going to want to know that you have the ability to close, and you know, the, the biggest part of it, seventy to eighty percent of it, is going to be your debt. So, having a letter or having a, a conversation with the seller's broker is certainly something that we we provide all the time. Yep. And now once somebody's in contract, and that doesn't mean necessarily the first time because it's very competitive out there, but they're in contract, what is the timeline on a commercial loan? So generally speaking, most of them are somewhere between 45 and 60 day process. So uh, having all the third party reports, your appraisal, your, your environmental report and a property condition report take some time. So those are usually two or three week process as well as going through all the financial statements on the property, then on you, and then getting the loan memo written up and approved by the loan committee. So that that's usually a, a 45 day process and it takes a, a few days to get some loan documents drawn up and close. So yeah. allowing 60 days is, is usually pretty good. Now what about Fannie Mae? And th- that is with Fannie Mae as well. Sometimes that could be a little bit more extended uh, depending on, on the property. Uh, but if you the, the real key is being organized. Uh, knowing what is going to be expected of you up front, getting all your documentation together. And then when your lender asks you for something, they, it's not just because they want, they're just asking for it. They need it. So arguing with them and not providing the information that they, they require is not going to get you anywhere because they're going to need it to get the loan approved. You know, one of the nuances of working in the commercial space is that, generally speaking, the players are just a little more professional. You typically have listing agents who have done a lot of that work. They've got rent rolls. They've got some reports. They've got things ready to go on a file so you don't have to start at square one necessarily. How does that vary for like an off-market deal? Somebody finds an owner who's interested, but now they don't have all that put together. Yeah, on the off-market deals, you're, you're right. The the broker is usually the, the mediator between the two parties, and he certainly understands that, you know, doing a lot of transactions, understands what the what the buyer is going to need to provide to the lender. So having an off-market transaction is, is very important to make sure that you have a full and complete due diligence list uh, that they have to provide you within the contract. So you know that you need two years worth of financial statements and rent rolls and, and all these other things the lenders are going to require. So making sure that you incorporate that in the contract and make sure that the seller understands that you're going to have to provide that to, to your lender or the deal's just not going to close. Now, you spoke earlier about having a business plan. And it's a great idea if you're buying just your first single family rental house to have a business plan. And maybe it's not a 15 page written with colored pictures, but at least you've got your plan. You've got your exit strategy 
strategy, your acquisition strategy, you've got a, a backup plan, you've got all that stuff ready to go. When we're talking about developing a business plan for a property like this, what needs to be in there? Certainly, uh, uh, when when you're out there doing these deals, especially if you're in a syndicated, you, you know you have to have a business plan for your banker, but you're also going to have to put one in your your PPM to be SEC compliant if you're going to go out and do a syndicated deal. But what needs to be in the business plan is basically where's the property today. You know, where, where's the pro formo? You know, I'm going to raise, I'm going to raise rents. Well, how am I going to raise rents? Well, I'm going to go in and cure the deferred maintenance and upgrade the units. I'm going to put new appliances in or put new flooring in these units. And that, that'll, that'll, uh, increase my ability to raise the rental rate. So just kind of going through where, where it is and then where are you going to take it to? And then a lot of it is about what the comparable properties in the area are for both rents and, and for, for sales comps are. And just, just really trying to, you know, the commercial properties, uh, are, are valued based off of net operating income divided by a capitalization rate where comparative market analysis is how you sell a single family house. So how are you going to be able to drive your net operating income up and just and all the factors to, to get there? What about the appraisal side? So an appraiser is going to typically look at the three ways that we value property, summation, the cost approach, the comparative market analysis approach, which is what single family homes are generally done, and income approach, which is for apartment buildings. But the appraisal process, is it any different than it is on single family? Uh, much different. It's, it's more based off the income approach in a lot of ways. I mean, because really these properties are valued off their net Bring income and so it's just really is the seller running this property too light so he doesn't charge a management fee but you're gonna have to charge a management fee so the appraiser is gonna add the management fee in or his tax basis uh, on the tax roll is really low and then when you buy this property the taxing authority is gonna raise it closer to the purchase price so adjusting the expenses to what it's gonna be the pro forma and what it's gonna take for you to operate this property is very key and the appraiser plays a pretty big role into that and of course the appraiser in a commercial deal is gonna understand what the what the play is if this is a if this is a value add we're going to kick everybody out and rehab and do that that's going to look different than if you're acquiring a stabilized asset correct and you can get multiple values within an appraisal you can do an as-is value and as completed value and as stabilized value so having the plan in place having your capital budget in place and providing all the appropriate information to the appraisers really key to get the value that you need to get the, the loan you're, you're seeking now we always talk about building long-term relationships one of the things that people need to think about is if that was their plan they were going to go in and they were going to re- have a property. You're going to counsel them to find a loan that is going to work for that so that it's going to be a shorter term. The whole idea is we're going to turn the thing within a couple of years. And then maybe the plan is to put more permanent financing on it. So you're with them right alongside both those loans. Sure. And again, you start with the end in mind. The end is I'm going to buy this distressed property, fix it up, and then I want to put a permanent loan on it in 18 months. So making sure that you have the plan in place and then kind of working backwards that Fannie Mae is going to want you to have, uh, for example, GFCI out in the bathrooms and in the kitchen. So part of your capital budget, you need to make sure you do that or you're going to have a problem on the refinance and they're going to make you do it in 18 months. So you might as well as do it now when you're tearing the place apart and putting it back together. So just kind of really thinking through in very, very great detail what the end game is and it's kind of working your way backwards methodically. The mentality of the residential lenders uh, based on having a maximum of either four or 10 loans as we talked about a few weeks back is that at some point the risk changes when you have more capital out there. In this case, we're talking about commercial lenders wanting you to have experience. Do you get to some sort of cap on how much you can afford? How does the lender look at things like contingent liabilities as you acquire more property? Yeah, the contingent liability is really kind of the key. So what a contingent liability is, is when you sign on a personal guarantee, you're not directly liable. Typically, you form an LLC or a corporation, which is the borrower, but you're standing there saying, I'm, I'm going to stand behind this loan. If something goes wrong, I'll personally support it. So if you get a lot of contingent liabilities, I, 
right? It kind of clouds your balance sheet is what I call it. So when you're going out to do another deal and the lender says, okay, you have a million dollars in cash, we have $20 million in contingent liabilities, they kind of look at it as that, you know, that cash might just be used for some other purpose that we don't know about today. So being able to operate in a non-recourse environment, it really helps, um, you know, one, it deflects a lot of risk on you, but it really just helps your ability to operate and do more and more and more deals. So that's why the bigger boys try to go into the non-recourse environment. That's almost more valuable than, than just not having the potential liability, just your ability to operate and do more and more deals. That is such a critical point. Maybe the most important point people need to understand about it is everybody says, yeah, I don't want recourse because they don't want to be liable. It's not, You're going to be liable. At the end of the day, if it's your deal, if you've raised the money, if there's a problem, the buck stops with you. So you may not be technically liable, but if the whole property goes down, it's not good for anybody. This is the point, though. The less I look like I'm financially encumbered, the more I can go get, the more deals I can do. And lenders, like owners, want people to step up and do deals. That's right. I mean, I certainly don't have the financial resources to do 1,400 units on my own. So I need to. You, when you're out there, you need to leverage other people's experience, their time, their money, and then their relationships. And that's just really it. And by doing that with a non-recourse environment, it really just the the opportunity is almost infinite. Is how much time do you have in the in the in your life to, to accumulate all these assets. That's really only your, your limiting factor there. So Michael, we talk about asset protection and the idea of using an entity such as a LLC or other entity to own property. Very hard practically to do that on the residential level. Most lenders are not going to make a loan to an LLC. They'll make a loan to an individual. That's not true in commercial. It is almost always the case that you have some sort of entity. Yeah, it's, it's generally a requirement that the lenders want you to have a single purpose entity. So they just want that entity to own that apartment complex or that office building and nothing else. They don't want to have uh, that entity, their borrower, to have any any other operations that could you know uh, come in and impact their deal. So so they they generally make you have an LLC or corporation to buy a deal. All right. Well, now with your years of experience, not only as a principal but as a lender, what are some of the things people need to watch out for? What are some of the biggest mistakes you see borrowers make? Sure. You know, be, being organized is, is certainly a key. Getting started early, understanding what's your capacity. You know, I, I can afford a million dollar property or two million dollar property. Um, you need to kind of understand what you can go out and target because a lot of people either will target something too small that's not efficient or go out and try to target something big and they just can't actually pull it off. And when you make mistakes like that, it, it gets expensive. I mean, there's a lot of third party reports and just costs that go along with these deals. It's not a few hundred bucks, it's a few thousand dollars or maybe tens of thousands of dollars. So making those mistakes really come and hurt. So being organized and being realistic about what it takes and having the business plan to come in and, and be the right fit for the project you're trying to do and make sure that it makes sense to the lender as well as your other equity partners if you, if you do a syndication. Well, this has been great stuff, Michael, and we could go on and on. But fortunately for our listeners, you have uh, distilled a lot of this down to a great report on uh, multifamily financing that we're going to make available to the listeners. Uh, tell us what they're going to read in the, about in the report. Sure, it'll be a, a, a quite a bit of detail on what it's going to take to actually secure an apartment loan. So, kind of a, a pretty pretty detailed outline on all the steps and, and a lot of a lot of great information. Another thing you uh, will do, I know for folks, is uh, you send out these great little case studies. At least that's what I call them. Uh, I've been on your list for a while, and you guys, when you do a deal, you send out some information about it. And, and I'll tell you what, just one of the skill sets for people looking to get in apartments is to look at deals. You should look at a lot of deals, and there is just as much value in looking at a deal that's just been done. Maybe Maybe more so than a potential deal because when a deal has been done that means there was a successful business plan the lender said yes those things so talk about some of that that you send out sure yeah we send weekly uh, tombstone 
comes out on deals that we've done and kind of describing uh, with a with a picture of the property, kind of describing all the particulars of of the loan and location, and just just a pretty pretty decent little overview of uh, all uh, a sample of the transactions that we do. All right, so if you want to see those and if you want to get Michael's great report, just send an email to multifamily at realestateguysradio.com, multifamily at realestateguysradio.com, and uh, we'll get you the report and you'll get to look at uh, some deals. And just keep looking at deals. That's the way to get your mind around this stuff. Michael, this has been great stuff. We sure appreciate your time again. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Robert. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. More we come back. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Hi, this is Doug Casey, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you've thought about doing bigger deals, come on out to the secrets of successful syndication. It happens in Las Vegas, Nevada, the first weekend of February. Already have lots of folks signed up for this event. It is going to be awesome. Rich Dad Advisor and apartment mogul Ken McElroy will be there speaking for us. We've got uh, attorney Marisa Raul. We've got a big cast of uh, great uh, speakers. And uh, that's actually where we met Michael Becker was at a syndication event. That's right. You know, that... and. That alone tells you something. You think, here, you just listen to the guy. He's brilliant. All this experience, 1,400 units, syndicated deals, all that, and yet still going to seminars, still looking to learn. And the other thing, big reason why we're fans of live events and not just, you know, online content is you get into relationships, right? We're we're here with him because he took the time to come out into the real world where real people are and get connected. And now we're able to bring this value to the listening audience uh, because of that networking. And so we're big fans of you getting out in the real world. The new media is great. We love it. We're podcasters, radio guys. We love delivering the digital reports. But you know what? The magic happens when you get in a room full of other people that are like-minded around a particular subject matter. And that's how we got in a relationship with Michael Becker. If you want to learn more about the secrets of successful syndication, go to our website at realestateguysradio.com and click on events. You know what I really appreciate about Michael is that he's done the thing on several levels, right? Not only does he have experience in raising money to do deals, so he's been in that seat. He knows what that's like. But he's also looked at a ton of deals for other people and funded deals for other folks. So that's a pretty interesting perspective to have. You know, the thing we didn't talk about, but I know that he's absolutely open to, is to talking to people 
people about what they're doing to deals. If you're looking at, you know, a, a, an opportunity or maybe even have an offer from a bank and you want to know, is that something that, you know, makes sense? What do I need to know? He's a guy that's a, a great resource for that. Well, I mean, this is this is the key. You know, you heard him talk about your team and, and how important it is when you're presenting yourself that who is surrounding you, who are you working with? Uh, you may not have everything you need to have to look as good as you need to look. And if you want to be the guy that wins in a competitive situation, you're going to have to convince not just the lender to give you the loan, but you're going to have to convince the seller and his agent to give you the deal. And in order to do that, it's who are you associated with? How do you carry yourself? How do you talk? Do you act like you know what you're doing? Are you prepared? All the things that he talked about. And so having guys and in, in gals in your power Rolodex or in your smartphone, right, that you can call up and, and you know, Robert, you and I, we kind of use, I mean, the radio show is great, right? It's a business. We make money doing the show and it's great. But one of the big values is non-financial. And that is the fact that we have relationships with all of these amazing people. You know, if I have a question about apartment lending, even if I'm not doing the deal with Michael, I can call him up and ask him, hey, this is a community deal. It's really not in your marketplace or your wheelhouse, but I have a question. I'm trying to present myself to this uh, lender, this community banker, and I'm thinking about going this way. What do you say? And he goes, well, you know, you might want to put this in or put that or put this this way or add this person to the to the resume or put put this in the business plan. You know, I probably wouldn't have thought of that. Thank you. Right. And that's an investment in his part, just like doing the show in goodwill. But it's huge value for me or anybody that chooses to pick up the phone. You know, Tanner does that with Ken McElroy's firm, and he will allow investors to call him up and he'll look over their deal for him, even if he's not the guy on the other end of the deal. Guys who understand that building your reputation in the marketplace is by adding value first are guys like Michael, guys like Tanner, guys like Kenny. You know, we try to be guys like that. We encourage you to be a guy like that, too. If you're out there in the listening audience, how do you get going in this business? It's a relationship business. And guys like Michael understand that, and they give first, and they know that good things come around to people who go out and lead with value. If this is the first time you've been exposed to what multifamily financing looks like, I would strongly urge you to get a copy of Michael's report. Just send an email to multifamily at realestateguysradio.com, and like magic, it'll be delivered to you. Hey, there is still time for you to join us on the 2015 Investor Summit at Sea. It's our 13th year of doing this incredible, amazing, week-long event. And no matter how great we tell you it is, you're going to come and think it was even better than that because that's what happens every single time. We're super excited to have Ken McElroy coming back for his sixth year. He spends a whole week with us. You'll get to have dinner with him, have conversations with him, pick his brain. He's also a lot of fun to hang around. Nobody, Tommy gets, Ken, nobody gets these guys for a week. Tommy Hopkins is coming back for the second year, a sales icon and the Amazing, amazing, great guy. And plus Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff, who's become a good friend over the years, and we run into Peter all the time, lets his hair down a little bit and hangs out with us. And, and plus, as smart as this guy is, you can sit there and ask him questions. He's a real person. You're going to love him and hang out with him. And we've got just a huge faculty. Uh, it happens in March, and uh, there's still a few cabins left. So go to the website at realestateguysradio.com. Click on the button that says Summit. Well, if it's time for you to step up to commercial, this is a great year to do it. And uh, hopefully Michael can be a great resource for you. We appreciate his time today. And until next week, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys radio show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. 
Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.